Can a marriage survive infidelity? We dig deep to explore this thorny question. Join me, Jean-Claude Chalmet, and founder of The Place Retreats and a featured columnist for The Times, with Amy Cooper and Louise Daniels, on The Place Retreats podcast. Search Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite Android app. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to your next episode, the podcast that brings you all the dirt, the details and the discussion about midlife and beyond. I'm Amy. And I'm Louise. Today we have come to meet Lynn Ruth Miller at her home in North London. Lynn is a writer, artist, cabaret performer and at age 87. 86. 86 is the world's oldest female working comedian. Yeah. Hello, Lynn. Hello and thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Really inspired me. Well, you're, you're really well, see me jump around like this i'm very very busy um <laughs> tell me uh, what you want to know yeah. you're talking about midlife and we think i believe that we get our definition of what the good life is and the way we should live our lives from the media mm. from movies from plays from novels from uh uh, the situation comedies, I, I always think of from my generation, Leave it to Beaver and the Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. We, what the good life is. Uh, and I will never forget, um, I had a friend uh, who had her baby on a um, on a park, she had on her friend's couch and then was living on a park bench and she stole clothes from... Um, in the in the states from a place called Kmart. I don't know what yeah, you have yeah. here that's like that. TK but anyway, or that, and I said to her, "Why are you stealing them?" And this is the reason I'm telling you this. But why are you stealing them? She said, "Well, I saw these beautifully dressed children on television. And I thought, why can't my baby look my baby look like that too?" Yeah. And I thought, well, because they could pay for it and yeah. you couldn't. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's that she felt that 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 the way to dress her baby was like the, what she saw on television, and the only way she could do it was to steal clothes from. Yeah, I, I'm sure that hasn't changed. I'm sure that's happening right now. And I'm sure it's happening right now. And the the problem is that the vision that you have of the second half of life is uh, is still uh, locked into um, preconceived notions from 
30, 40 years ago. Yes. Uh, when yeah. 50 was old. My mother was old at 50. Yeah. I was just beginning at 50. I just was beginning. And I certainly didn't feel old. Yeah. Um, and so we've locked that in. So women are still thinking, well, if you really want to be a real woman and th with a real good life, you get a man to support you, you have a, ba you have a baby, and you stay home all day. That would kill me. I don't mm. know about anyone else. Jesus, I couldn't stand that, talking to some blubbering little kid all day. <laughs> and then cleaning house. Uh, nowadays, though, in reality, that isn't what's happening. No. In reality, men and women are sharing, uh, taking care of children. I was just talking to someone yesterday uh, that was saying that, that uh, when her husband, uh, when she had a baby, her husband's hobby was playing uh, golf. So he would go out and play golf. And, and some uh, feminist was saying, when a husband, when a baby is born and the husband goes out to play golf or play tennis, that's being a misogynist. Mm. And you can see that. For me, that's the way it was done. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw a man washing dishes. I reacted as if he had just ripped off his clothes and started dancing naked in the middle of my kitchen. <laughs> I had never seen anything like that. Now it's perfectly accepted, yeah. and that is a good thing. Yeah. But we haven't altered our definition. So yeah. part of the problem is that people, women especially, think, okay, when I'm 50, the kids are grown, my life is over. That's wrong. Mm. The kids are grown, your life begins. Yeah, There's absolutely. This, this wonderful, wonderful joke about when does life begin. And it's a it's a religious joke where the, the 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 priest says, well, it begins at first communion, and the minister says it begins uh, when you're baptized, and the rabbi says, no, it begins when the kids leave and the dog dies, and that really is when <laughs> life begins. That's what you're waiting That's for, Paul, uh, Yeah, waiting. Our youngest is is going to leave in about four years, and Paul's hoping that um, the dog will go, die yeah, at about dog, that time. No, and as when well. I came, and then we'll be when free. I came here, the big sad thing was that my dogs were 19 and 20 years old, oh. my dogs, and they didn't die, and I had to give them to someone, and that oh. just broke my heart. So, uh, but my life has begun over and over and over again. Yeah. And when I was 50, mm. I was actually 52. I managed with savings and unbelievable sacrifice for the previous 10 years, a life like you wouldn't want. I, I, I had no money and I saved from babysitting and from uh, uh, just little teeny little writing jobs. And I managed to save enough money for the down payment of a house. Mm -hmm. And I managed to get a house. And when I walked into that house and I could shut that door and no landlord, remember this is in the United mm -hmm. States where they have absolutely no scruples whatsoever. No landlord could say, my brother's coming from Mexico, you have to leave, which I had happen. Uh, my cousin is here, you have to leave. And I said, but I signed a lease, no, you have to leave. And then single women, especially in America, but also here, have very little currency. Mm -hmm. You think you have rights, but when you try to defend them, you're going to have to pay an awful lot yeah. to an awfully high-cost high lawyer to get to get your rights, which you can't do, mm. which you can't do. So I managed to get this house, and once I walked in there, even though I had a mortgage, it was a very low mortgage, uh, I was able, I said, that was I, your I independence. Changed, I changed everything. Yeah. I changed everything. I used to be, uh, if people attacked me, I would always say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I would immediately try to change. You walked in my house and I would say, don't you raise your voice to me. This is my house. Mm. It was... What a revelation. It was It was marvelous. Yeah. And it was a big house. And mm. I had a lot of dogs and cats. Uh, <laughs> that's what I had then. 
I wanted to talk to you um, about comedy because your background was in writing and journalism. I've done some research on you slash stalked you, which uh, has been such an inspiration to listen to the videos that you've Thank done. You. So you started doing stand up when you were 70. 70. But I always wrote funny stories. Okay. Uh, I always was the comic. I was always funny. So even in those dark days when... Oh, I was... Oh, that's Everybody has different ways of dealing with yeah. um, with um, uh, adversity. Uh, yeah. And and the way I did it by having a smart mouth, making a smart crack. Um, all that's why minor, minorities are always funnier than, than uh, people that are in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at black comics, um, uh, uh, they're funny. Yeah. They don't... Uh, the, Jewish comics are funny. Mm. I was I was the underdog. I was I, I and I and I was very funny. I was mm. always the class clown. How did you get the confidence to to, uh, to then start standing up and holding a microphone? And no, because in another life, in my thirties, I was a lecturer. Right. I was a professor. You missed that one. Yeah, I was a professor uh, at okay, a that... at, at a technical. You would call it a I don't know what you call it a trade school. I think you would call it. We called it a university, but it was. It was not a very intellectual university. Mm. Um, so you were used to standing. That's up in front why of I people. started all this. That's why I started art because yeah. I was teaching the humanities and I was teaching art appreciation and English uh, and literature and um, music appreciation. And I have been taking piano. I know how to play the piano and I know how to write, but I didn't know anything about art. So that's how I decided. We, I should say for our listeners, we are um, in uh, Lynn Ruth's home and surrounded by all of the art that you, you are a prolific creator. <laughs> I do um, a lot. Do, do, you, is, do you do that to sort of relax? And I do that now when I was in San Francisco. I did it to sell. I, yeah. I, I had, I had exhibit, exhibitions. Mm. But then when I came here, um, the first place I'm, I'm in my 80s now and... and uh, when I was in San Francisco, I had a, do you know what a station wagon is? I had yeah. like a van and I could carry these things around. I had a garage. I could keep them all in there. Yeah. Now I've just got this flat on the third floor and there's no way I can carry all this stuff. Mm. So I just figured, listen, I love doing it. Just surrounded by it. So yeah, it's, it's very it's fantastic. Very so relaxing. how did you get into stand-up comedy? How did that avenue open I was, um, I'm a journalist. I have a degree in journalism. I have a degree in I've, I have a degree in creative arts for children, and I have a degree in journalism. And I'm a journalist, and I always was trying to get the big job in the New York Times. Mm. Actually, where I'm from was the Toledo Blade. Nobody's ever heard of the Toledo <laughs> Blade, but I want to tell you, it's one of the best newspapers in the country. Is it really? Oh God, it's so good. It's it's equivalent to the New York Times. It's very unbiased. It's very mm. both sides. It's wonderful. And I wanted to get a job there because I had a master's degree from Stanford University. But I wrote for them freelance, but they would never hire me. This is what happens to women. They would never hire me. I was too old and I was a woman. By that time, I was in my 30s. In your 30s? 30s. Wow. That was back in 1964, 65. That was it. You think the 60s are so... They were more than happy. Free and breezy. They were more than happy to love you and and live in um, communes where there was no mother and father. Mm. You know, doing that, that with the hippies. They were more than happy to do that, but they don't give you a job. You're not going to get money. And that's what happened. I wrote for their magazine section. I had the cover articles for their magazine section, and they paid me something like like twenty five dollars for one of them, whereas they were paying their regular men, Ma- male contributors, men, uh, several, you know, a couple thousand a week yeah. for 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 their mm. salary. 
So um, you were writing pieces, but I bet it had your humor threaded through it. Always. I wrote funny stories. Yeah. I wrote them. I was writing for Volkswagen magazine, and I wrote about how uh, the the uh, the local army in Laredo, Laredo, Texas, was so small that they held their their conferences in a in a rabbit, which is a Volkswagen. <laughs> I mean, I always I did things like that. I did one with Volkswagen. I did one where this oh, this woman who was wearing a hat with a lot of flowers was taking her three Labradors to the vet and what that was like cramming them in a Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the kind of thing I wrote. And I always was yeah. a little bit off the wall. Uh, but by this time, I am now in Pacifica, which is about 20 miles south of, of San Francisco and has its own newspaper. And uh, I was writing for that newspaper. And I also wrote occasionally for Stanford Magazine because I'm an alum. And I wrote for a thing called Coast Views, which was... Uh, a magazine about what was going on on the Pacific Coast. And um, I still hadn't gotten the big job, which then would have been the San Francisco Chronicle. And I was trying. I always tried all the time, and I just wasn't getting it. By this time, I was 70 years old. And I mean, they, they were paying no attention. when yeah. I said, yeah, I really want a job. Um, because I always felt, which is another myth, that you have to have a steady job. Mm. When actually I have supported myself as a freelance everything mm. uh, since I was 36. Yeah. Um, I've been doing it. But I bet you look at it and you think, no, I know I've survived, but what I need is a full time job with, with insurance benefits and pension. A, and yeah, a pension. And by that time, I'm 70. I already had a pension from yeah. teaching. So I was, I had written four books and I had them published. And I, um, I was promoting the books, and after I finished promoting the books, I would tell jokes, just tell jokes. Mm. And they kept inviting me back to tell more jokes, right. and they never bought any books. So I, um, <laughs> so I was surfing the net because by that time you could. It was two thousand? It would have to be two thousand three. Mm. You could surf the net, and I, um, I was looking for more jokes. I was running out of jokes. I had plenty of books. They wouldn't buy them, but I did the jokes. And I saw the San Francisco Comedy College, and I thought, you know, uh, they're ripping off people because I don't believe you can teach people to be funny. I still don't. Mm -hmm. um, you can teach people how to construct a joke, but if they can't see the funny, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I was going to ask you what what changes you've seen over the times that oh, you've been tremendous. in the comedy industry. Is it? Do you think things have? Oh, changed? Oh, things or? have changed immensely. Yeah. When I was there, comedy was very big in the UK, but it was just beginning as an industry in America. Right. Uh, oh God! Most how of the comedians is that? now it seems to oh, be a huge. huge thing over there. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. But then there were very little venues. There were very few. Um, mostly stand-up comics did things like on the Tonight Show. They were, that's where I saw Joan Rivers was on mm -hmm. The Tonight Show. I, you didn't, or they would do Steve Martin, or they would do our shows, but they would do it, the famous ones. Yeah. But you didn't have, like we do, like the Bill Murray, where there are going to be four comedians uh, and an MC, and we're all going to earn some money yeah. and, and a career mm -hmm. making money in stand up comedy. I didn't know there was such a thing as stand-up comedy, but I saw this thing and I called the guy and I will never forget this because at that time we had phones on the... Yeah, the landline. And we left messages. Yeah. yeah. And when you came home, there was a little light that blinked that said you had a message. So I called him and I said, I would like to write about you and I would need to take the class to see what you're doing um, and I can get you in two magazines and a newspaper, which I did, I did. And um, he called back, 
within 20 minutes, and his name is Curtis Matthews, and he said to me, I just love small Jewish women. Oh. (laughs) That's pretty much exactly. I mean, I'm actually that. Oh. I said, well, you've arrived. And... (laughs) At that time, I was five foot two. He loved me even more. Now I'm four foot ten. But um, to give him credit, he and I don't want. I always forget to say this. He is a masterful comedian. Curtis is wonderful. I don't know why he doesn't perform more. He is absolutely masterful. He's wonderful. But anyhow, he was teaching the class, and I walked in there, and there were a bunch of nineteen and twenty year old children, mm. and me, and I'm seventy, um, and. Um, I, to his credit, he said to me, because I came in and made some crazy remark about the traffic or parking or something, and he said, you know, I'm not going to be able to teach you anything. But he did. He taught me how to hold a microphone. He taught me what a joke, what was considered a joke. He taught me uh, how to present what I had in my mind. Yeah. Because the art of stand-up comedy is to have an idea here. It's the art of all writing. Yeah. A specific idea here and get it into your head and you are strangers to me. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. I had a writing teacher who always said to me, there's only one word. And I said, no, there are a million words. You know, a million words that mean the same thing. He said, no, there's only one word that means what you mean. Yeah. And in comedy, that is much more relevant. If I reverse words in a joke that I've created and all my jokes are written, if I reverse the words, I won't get the same amount of laughs. Yes, yeah. it's that forensic detail, mm-hmm. isn't it? That just that, that communicates. That so that idea. when I began, I had a knack for it. Now I've, I'm doing it now for 16 years. Now it's an art. Now yeah. it's an art. What brought you to the UK then? I have been going to the Edinburgh Festival since 1988. I discovered it. And this is on a a, a, a pension that was half, a little better than half, of what the poverty level was then yeah. in in San Francisco, uh, it was then twenty. I was making fourteen thousand a year, and the poverty level was twenty one thousand and twenty one. It is now thirty five thousand. Mm. But I was, and I'm still earning the same thing. By the way, I'm mm. still there at the same thing. It's a pension, and it says it's gone up, but it hasn't. It's the same. So are you doing... uh, so, and I managed to come to Edinburgh every year. I don't know how I did mm. it, uh, but I did it. And um, Just grit and determination, Lynn Ruth. It's, because... it's more than grit and determination. It's scaling down. Um, we think we need... I'll never forget this man. He was from... I think he was from Sicily. And he said to me, it took me a long time to learn that I can like something. I don't have to have it. Mm. Yeah. We're an acquisitive generation. We are here too. You don't have to have it. Yeah. And I trimmed myself down to what I needed, yeah. nothing else. I didn't buy any new clothes for almost 30 years. Wow. Wow. They stopped fitting me, so then I had a... <laughs> you know, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't buy new clothes until my father died, and I got some money, and then yeah. I bought some. And I also went... I also... That was when I started coming... I had been to the Edinburgh Festival once really a long time ago in the 60s, and it was in 1988. And I was a punter for about three years, and then remember I'm a writer, and then I discovered three weeks. Mm. So I wrote for them for, oh, five, six years. And that was, we had no computers. And I don't know if you know Edinburgh, but I was living on the Delray Road, and I would go out and I would get home at about three in the morning, and then I would get up 
at something like eight, and I'd write this thing by hand. And I'd run from the Dalry Road up the mound, which almost killed me, and to a coffee shop and hand this to Chris Cook, go back down, go back to the Dalry Road and go to sleep. Can I ask you about um, your time on Britain's Got Talent? In That was yeah, about I, five, I, six years ago? Or? Oh, it was more than that. It was more than that. It was while I was still living in the United States, but I had been oh. on America's Got Talent two years oh, before. Oh, okay. And nobody knows about that because they didn't film me. They oh. did film me, but they didn't use it. Right. But I got much farther in America's Got Talent. Oh, I got to the, really? Oh, I got okay. to the Wednesday of the Las Vegas week. I was almost there. And how old were you then? So... What would it have been? So, I was starting comedy. If I was on, if, if I was on Britain's Got Talent eight years ago, it would have been ten years ago. So I was seventy-six. I would have been seventy-five or seventy-six. Wow! And I, I just remember I was a lot more independent then because in America I led a very different life. I drove down to Los Angeles. I drove down. You drove to I, the auditions, and I drove, drove to, to the audition, yeah. and. Um, I went with my dog groomer. I said, "You want it? You want to have? You want to have an unusual weekend?" She said, "Why not?" And she, her name was Michelle, and we drove down to LA, and uh, I did the I did the audition. I got in. Were you doing regular spots in America, and then you saw the America Got Talent and thought, "I'm going to go and try and do that," or was it? I'm plumbing my memory there because you have to realize I was doing this for because I loved it. I was not paying much attention to whether I got paid. Right. So when I began, which was 2003. The first year, I made nothing. I was mm-hmm. I was a student. The second year would be two thousand four. I started, I started my own comedy show at Winters, and I employed comedians because I am a big believer. I get very angry at people who exploit young yeah. pro- young performers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get very angry. I mean, that's the thing in I the mean, comedy community at the moment, it, isn't this it? Wonderful joke where the guy says. Uh, uh, you know, if they would have called the slaves apprentices, we wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. have, we wouldn't have had the Civil War. No. I get so angry that they do that to young people. And I see it in Edinburgh where they have all these children working for nothing. Mm. And they say, oh, you're going to get experience in theater. And what they're doing is they're cleaning toilets and they're selling tickets. And yeah. it's, mm. it, it infuriates and me. And you should be grateful to be doing that because you should be grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I would like to shoot them Yeah, because mm. they're making money. And so that was what I decided immediately. I saw this and I thought, no, I'm not going to be part of this. So I created a, a comedy show at Winter's Bar, which is a redneck blue collar beer bar in Pacifica. I think I was the first Jew they ever saw. But I, I, <laughs> and I paid my, my comedians. Not very much, because we collected from a bucket, bucket split, and, and yeah. they didn't want to spend. You collect from a bucket, now people are used to it. They'll put bills in. Mm-hmm. We got coins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. I divided it among all of them. And then after I did it for a couple of years, so I was making money. After I did it for a couple of years, the guy that owned the bar began to pay me. Mm. Because he was he making money. That he because he was from making the money from, the, from yeah. the drinks. Yeah. And then I paid the comedians from the bucket, and I... Uh, and then when he left town, I didn't want to work for the other people. So I started putting my comedy shows in other bars, in other bars. Mm. And there's a guy named Michael Slack, who's a, a comedian in uh, the Bay Area. He said, whenever Lynn books me, as I booked him all the time, he was so funny. He said, I just drive through Pacific and go to every bar until I can find her. Because Pacific <laughs> is really small. It's really, really tiny. Um, but you had that entrepreneurial 
spirit maybe um not, it's so not much. entrepreneurial darling it's i'm going to succeed and i'm not going to let the establishment shit all over me mm. that's what it is oh, amen sister <laughs> what is that called don't let the bastards grind yeah, you down absolutely. i'm not going to they've done it too many times when i was in san francisco there was a woman uh, who decided all right i'm going to do a women's festival and she called me up and she said lynn ruth will you organize it she said i'm paying every comedian forty dollars which at that time mm -hmm. yeah remember i was so it, was, it had to be eight years ago good money mm -hmm. so i said okay so i got these people and the girls were really excited because people girls were doing it for nothing all mm -hmm. the time I said yes you're going to get 40 40 bucks we get there and we get there and she says oh i didn't make enough money i'm only paying the headliner that was me so i said so i said to the girls you don't have to stay every one of them stayed okay so i said okay we're here because we were there when she told us but tomorrow night if you don't pay them i'm not performing yeah i walked in all the girls are there again i walk in i said are you paying us she said no i said i'm leaving and i expected all the women not one of them oh my goodness not one see that's the thing isn't it that's the um we, we all need to move in this direction together because if, and anybody thought, who moves in I am other... doing this for you. Yeah. yeah. Because I got paid the night before mm -hmm. and I would have gotten paid yeah, that yeah. night. I was Can I ask you, Limru, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the marvellous Mrs. Maisel, which is a I've show. I've seen it and that, and you and I've seen it, and I need to tell you that's pie in the sky. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to check if that was the bullshit. The advancing that she's was... making, the fact that she got an agent, forget it. I have not been able to get an agent yet. Mm. Everyone says, oh, she's going to die. We're not going to. This is since I was 70 for 16 years. <laughs> oh, God. What? I'm going to drop dead. And I I don't blame them, but I do blame them. I do blame them because I've been good. I've always been funny. Mm. I've you audiences, deliver. Audiences have liked me. Mm. Audiences have loved me. Bookers have not. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Can you just, I know we're good, like short of time. I want to know from people listening, give them a feel of what your show is. I talk about aging. Right. I talk about aging because everyone's afraid of aging. 
And I've had, and when I say it's a joke, I say this has been the best year of my life. And then I pause and then I say, of course, I can't remember any of the others, but I can remember the others. <laughs> yeah. This yes. has been the best year of my life. It has gotten better every year. Fantastic. And my big push is for everybody to realize it's a choice. Yeah. You want to live a life where you've gone, you've, you've, you've expanded and expanded and you're 65 now and you're tired and you want to just level off and plateau, go to cruises yeah. and sit and have people entertain you and mm -hmm. just sit around like a vegetable. You've earned it. If you want to be like me and you want it to keep going like this, like this, like this, you can, but you have to find the way. You have to be willing to find the way. And for people that are listening to me, there is a book by James Hollis, and I probably got the title wrong. It's How to Live the Last Half of Your Life, which is what you're talking about, wow. how to truly grow up. And a man named Tony Earnshaw read it and told me about it, and I carried the title around for two years, and I finally read it, and it changed my life. And and he went from being an investment, uh, uh, an investment counselor, which you call it different things here, but he... You called a him banker? up. A banker? Like a finance? No, not a bank, a financial. No, financial thing. advisor, yeah. okay. He stopped that, and now he has. He's written plays that have won awards. He has his own company. He's because he's an entrepreneur. And he's made a whole business about arts that is profitable. That's the kind of thing. Yeah. I have a friend named David Gemignani who was absolutely wonderful, who was a psychiatric nurse. And when he was 50, he said, I'm going to take early retirement. I'm tired of dealing with all these crazy people. And he's crazier than they are. <laughs> he's a crazy people. I'm, and I'm not going to just sit back. I'm going to do something that teaches me a new craft. So he became a really accomplished ballroom dancer. Wow. And he's really accomplished. And he sends me all kinds of emails and I keep saying, I'm coming home and dancing with you, but I don't know whether my back can take it anymore. But yes, yeah. he's really accomplished. Because he said, I'm not gonna just sit there and have people entertain me. I'm not gonna go on a cruise and eat myself into a bigger size pair of pants. just sit around and not challenge yourself. So it's challenge, about challenging yourself Challenge yourself, but reinventing you, yourself. Yeah, but also, like you know when you said about you get to 65 and you're tired do you not feel you, tired you'd be tired because you're not doing anything it's your fault okay. but i'm not going to argue but with what you. are you <laughs> so but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy the more I, tired my, you feel the more tired head, you are in my head i think these people that say i'm tired i think they're being ridiculous but i think that society is suffering mm. because society doesn't realize that from age 60 to 80 people are perfectly fit yeah to do wonderful participatory things. I just read, what was the quote I read? It was in Hillary Clinton's book. It said, not to serve, in other words, to participate is 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 copping out, but that isn't the way they said it, right. is, is, is being a, a leech. Right. You're 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 walking on the roads. You're 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 using the police, I hate. You're using <laughs> I don't like them. You're using you're using the facilities you're right. in a society, contribute to it. Mm -hmm. And when you contribute to that society, it becomes more meaningful to you. And you can do it when you're 60, when you're 70, when you're 80. Yeah. It's a mindset, I'm doing it, it now. Yeah. And it's criminal that somebody who's got, they've got plenty of money. Mm -hmm. So why are you using it for plastic surgery and cruises? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you feeding those people sitting on the street? Yeah. Why aren't you doing that? It's your society. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful... A quote, and I don't know who said it, that when you, well, when you treat people like they're animals, which is the way we treat those people on the street, you're reducing your own 
humanity. Mm. You're saying being human doesn't give you a right. And if we have a society, it means that that society says the people in that society have a right. Mm. And do you know Ernest Bevan? You should be so proud of Ernest Bevan. He's from here. And this was after my war. And he said, I think he was the health minister. I really don't know. I just know it's Ernest Bevan. He said, nobody in Britain is ever going to go hungry, is ever going to go without a roof over their head, is ever going to go without medical care. Mm. I believe also that if if there is a God, which I don't believe in, looks a little bit like like Ernest Bevan and Peter Graham. Mm. Combination. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sort of a portly gentleman. <laughs> Swaying so, at the temples. If we're understanding, yes. So that is, you know, so you, there are many reasons why you want to challenge yourself, and you know, mentally. And but when, what I want to know is, sort of physically now, you're eighty six. I'm fine. I know. I can see you're fine. <laughs> I have a million things know, wrong with me. What do you do? Do you do? Do you have some sort of? Do you do yoga? Do you no, make sure? No, I'm you, never going to You must scan be it. making sure you're moving around a lot. Yes. Okay. I'm never going to your... sit and do that mindless no, okay. yoga crap. Have you ever looked at their <laughs> but expression? I'm, I can see that you are like you know you nip down the stairs, let us in. Your you you. I do exercises like I every morning. And it, so, I do exercises. Can you explain to us? I physically? walk. I try to walk two and a half to three. I try to walk four miles a day, but the weather, I can't stand it. So it's been like two and a half lately. But the minute it gets, a minute it gets spring, it'll be four again. So you go out for a nice long walk. When I get off the bus, I don't get off at my stop. I get off five or six stops before and I walk. Uh, I walk. But it's determination. It's saying to yourself, I can't be... Peter says it the same best, better than I do. His father is 92, and he's, his father plays, we call it a xylophone, but you don't call it that. I think it might be a gramophone or something. With symphony orchestras, he says, my father uh, says he's 92 and he can't die because he's got a gig. <laughs> I, I have never missed any gig except this virus is making me miss mm-hmm. it, but they're canceling me. Yeah, at the time yeah. of recording, it's um, we're in the... Except for one when I was in Dublin and couldn't get myself to a, an A&E because the people I was staying with wouldn't take me. And I was out in the, the suburbs and I didn't know how to get there. So I got the flu and I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I had to cancel a New Year's Eve thing. It almost killed me. Mm. Uh, but I, I never go. I, I go to my gigs mm-hmm. and because I want to. Mm-hmm. Ah, when you're, after you reach that halfway mark, you can start doing what you love. How many people that you've talked to say, God, I hate my job, but it earns money. Yeah. No so, way yeah. would I do that. Yeah. But that's been my problem. That's why. <laughs> but no way. You've only, the only thing you've got is your life. Mm. And you can do it. And I mean, people will say, you know, I can't, especially this. No, I've got the grandchildren. No, my kid is still Well, you find excuses to do what you don't want to do, don't you? But you can. Yeah. You can. You, children, I'm taking care of my parents. You don't owe, this is a terrible thing. People are going to shoot me. You don't owe your parents one single thing. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask to be born. You don't. They owe you everything. (laughs) They owe you everything. When they, you stay at home, I do not agree with the parents that make children pay rent. Mm. Sorry, you owe them everything. Home is the place they take you when you have no other place to go. I disagree with that. Well, the economy, I don't care. You brought them into this world just because you decided not to use a contraceptive. Don't do that. I, you owe them. You owe mm. them everything. But you don't owe the grandchildren anything. <laughs> that skips a generation. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You owe your children. That's all. 
The children don't owe you a thing. It's nice if you take care of your lovely little mother. I couldn't stand mine, but you can take care of it. It's nice. Mm -hmm. You're being, they've taught you compassion mm -hmm. and it pays. But you don't have to. No. So all those excuses you don't have to do. The grandmothers that say, well, I have to have everyone over for dinner every Friday or Saturday night, depending, or Sunday night, depending on what your religion is, <laughs> Friday or Sunday. No, you don't. Mm. You have to make something of yourself and set an example so that your children don't think that life is over at 60. That's what you have to do. Yeah. And, and I, was, it's, I was just thinking, actually, I think that a lot of women <clears throat> look at what their grandmothers did. And, and, their, and, grandmother, you, and but their grandmother the was going. old. Yeah, well, you just keep the cycle going. What was your grandmother like, Lynn Ruth? My grandmother was an angel, but she died when I was 10. Okay. My other grandmother was Hitler, and she died when I was something <laughs> like, uh, like 15. Uh, my one grandma was an angel. She was uneducated. She, uh, she. what is it I say? Let me see if I can do this without crying. I'm very proud of the progress that women have made. I'm very progress. Uh, found a, I'm just very proud of that progress. My grandma was an uneducated woman that had no idea she could have a life outside her home. But she knew very well how to love a child. Aww. I loved my Aww. grandma. She knew very well how to love a child, and I will never forget when she died, my world ended. Aww. Is I that had, your maternal My maternal, maternal my, my grandma. grandmother. God, I loved her. She was four foot, four foot seven, and she, she adored me and I adored her. Aww. She just knew very well how to love a child. We don't know how to do that anymore. We think that we love our children by dragging them around to dancing lessons and... <laughs> That isn't loving a child. <laughs> loving a child is letting them be who they are. We have a final question because I know yeah, we've yeah, only got an hour and we've got to, like, we've got to let you go now because you're doing a gig tonight, aren't you? I'm so, doing two. Two tonight, okay. So our final question is, um, what is great about this stage of your life? I'm forgiven. Uh, people, much as I get angry at preconceived notions, I am forgiven uh, when I lapse. For example, <laughs> I was at uh, Soho, a, a night in Soho at the Phoenix Theater, and I forgot the words to my song, and everybody loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm furious with myself yeah. <laughs> because every time that happens, I need 15 performers to tell me that's happened to me because I think it's because I'm 86 and yeah. I get really upset. And the guy that directs it, whose name is Stuart Saints, oh, he said, that was wonderful. Keep forgetting things. I said, I probably will, <laughs> but I don't want to. You get forgiven. You, I can do something that you would do and people would say, oh, she's good. I would do it and they say, oh, I think she's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't like that, but I use it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. what's great? But I'm in a different situation. Other 86-year-old people have partners. Even if the partner died, they had a partner. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a partner since I was 25. So I don't have children. Mm -hmm. I have divorced my family, so I have no family. So what I do casts no shadow on anyone. Mm -hmm. I can spend every cent I have and pay the consequences. Mm -hmm. However, yeah. the other side is I pay every cent I have and nobody's going to come in and give me a dime. Oh. Yeah. That's a, they will hear a dime, but the, a dime is 10 cents. <laughs> uh, they will, a pound even, they will. But I've got to support myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the downside, but I don't think that's bad because I think we need to take responsibility for ourselves. Yeah. I believe we need to take responsibility for what happens to us. 
I was talking to this really wonderful man uh, that his father was killed in a plane accident when he was nine, or a, a, a car accident. But just traumatic, traumatic, horrible thing. I think I think he was older. I think it was about nineteen. But whatever it was, it was traumatic, terrible. And and he went on and made a life. And I said, you know, I've always blamed my mother and my father and society and men for all the things I didn't get. Mm -hmm. And I believe. <clears throat> I simply wasn't brave enough to go out and get it for myself. And he said, you can't look back. No. But I do look back and I think, I've just written a book and in the book, and it'll be out soon, and, and in the book I say, no, I could have walked out. I had a terrible childhood. I was, I was, I was demeaned and diminished and verbally abused. Uh, it was my mother's sport. And mm. other women, when that happened to them, they walked out. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the courage. Mm. Well, I look stayed. at you now. You're yeah, living your life yeah. and you are such so an So I'm getting it now. Yeah, yeah. And there's absolutely. also something else. We all say we have our time of life. And I met this really lovely woman in Leicester. Uh, and she said, when I had my children, that was the best time of my life. Um, I'm not going to argue with her. I, because I'm, I'm, for me, changing diapers, wiping up poo, and 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 worrying about whether the kid was going to teeth or not would not be a highlight in my life. Uh, servicing a man who came home drunk every night uh, would not be a highlight in my life. What I've got now is a highlight in my life. Mm -hmm. When a man calls me up and takes me out, and I'm going out with him now, I can decide. Yeah. If I don't like what he's doing, I've got the strength now to say, Nah. Fuck you, Buster. I'm not fucking yeah. you. Yeah. And go. Yeah. You are the ultimate poster Thank girl of independence. So and uh, yeah. we have But I do not me. look in the mirror because I still <laughs> have that preconceived notion that I should be beautiful. A you man, are beautiful. beautiful. You are so emanating sure. beauty. Thank you so yeah. much for, for having That's us. it. Thank you. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production. Hello, this is Rich Wilson, host of the podcast Insane in the Membrane, where we talk to funny and interesting people about men's mental health. People like James Acaster. Because we won't talk about emotions because we think that's bad. We won't talk about feelings and that's bad. So they've, they've had to rebrand it and go, it's mental health. <laughs> oh, oh, talk, oh, yeah. Course, yeah. Mental. Our, our brains are so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty clever. Uh, I, I like, okay, I'll get, I'll get into my mental health. Yeah, that's it. I like puzzles. <laughs> and Rob Beckett. I've never even done a school play. <laughs> I did some open mic gigs. Uh, Did the Edinburgh Fringe, got on, somehow got on the telly. And I'm on the other side of the world in the jungle doing nights. <laughs> following out and deck. People like Mark Steele. I hated being at home and I didn't get on with me. My dad was in a, a asylum by then. I suppose we ought to talk about that, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, given the premise of the, the podcast. Search Insane in the Membrane from wherever you get your podcasts. Brand new episodes every Thursday at 6pm. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.